Hello there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Thanks, Morris. I am Marie, the SLP, and today, 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 today is a lovely day. Today, my friend Paige is joining us, Paige from The Speechy Page, if you know her from Instagram. She is also an SLP in the preschool setting, but we're going to talk about our different perspectives as preschool SLPs. Paige has the unique perspective of a preschool SLP who was once a behavior tech. So she's worked in the ABA and BCBA world and collaborated with other SLPs. And so she's going to talk more about collaboration and what that's looked like for her. All right, we're here with Paige. Hello, Paige. Hi, Marie. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here. Finally, Um, I know you've listened to the podcast, but now we've got you on the podcast. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) So we're going to talk about Well, we're going to, I mean, we're both preschool speech pathologists, so we're definitely going to talk all things preschool and maybe why we love being a preschool speech pathologist, because we already talk about these things all the time together. So why not bring it uh, to everybody? But if you don't mind, would you tell us about your backgrounds um, in like your clinical fellowship, maybe graduate? Um, I know you've done, uh, you've done different things with the behavior side. So if you could just tell us a little bit more about you and what got you into speech pathology. Okay. So I started actually, I'll go way back. I'll go to like (laughs) the beginning of it. Um, Initially, actually, I was a nursing major and um, I know I've never really shared that. (laughs) I'm so surprised. (laughs) I really liked, you know, something that helps people and the medical aspects, really. Um, But then as it came time to apply to nursing programs, I really just wasn't excited. I was like, do I really want to do this? Do I want to be in a hospital? Do I want to deal with all of that (laughs) nastiness as well? Um, So then I just kind of was looking at what my program had. I went to um, Cal State East Bay and just kind of seeing what else is out there. Honestly, I didn't hear that much about speech pathology and I feel like pretty much anyone you talk to, like that's not an SLP, usually don't really know what we do. No. So so I was like, ooh, what's this? As I'm just looking through all the programs and that's really just, as I did my research, it sparked my interest. And I changed my major like right after that. And the rest is history there. I love that. Well, and I was a biology major. So, and I was the same way where I was like, I know I want to help people. I was really ambitious and wanted to um, study stem cells to study, you know, can't do go into cancer research and all kinds of stuff. Uh, But uh, chemistry really just, yeah, it wasn't for me, but um. It's just interesting because I had this a very similar experience where I was like, wait, what is, I was 20, what hell was I? I was 19 and I was like, well, what is speech pathology? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, you're right. Not everybody knows what we do even, and it's so surprising to me now because I've got so many friends that are speech therapists and, you know, I'm like, yeah, we're, I'm a speech pathologist. People are like, so, so what are you? Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's super it's interesting. Usually- it's usually a long conversation you end up having to explain all the things that we can do, you know? Right. I know. I've seen them all over the place, like the memes or the, even just the visuals of like everything we cover. Like I think one of the more popular ones is like the brain, the image of the brain and then inside are all the words of like fluency, dysphagia, aphasia, apraxia, and like all the things we cover. And there's so many things. I don't even... I don't really, I don't realize that. And even like, when we'll talk about this a little bit later, all the things you can cover with preschoolers and like just every, all the different age levels. And it's crazy. It's so crazy, but it's so much. Um, and then from there I was, I want to say I was only a junior in college and that's when I was like, okay, I want to do, get a part-time job where I can kind of learn more about this field or something similar, learn about the populations I might work with. And that's where I heard a bunch about being an RBT, registered Mm -hmm. behavior technician. Um, So of course I went into that and (laughs) I honestly didn't do much research into it. So I was just kind of like, okay, you work with kids, you, um, 
go in the homes. Sure. Okay. Um, and then as I was doing it and, you know, you get some training, but not as much as you would think. And luckily in the beginning, I had a really good BCBA who just was super knowledgeable. Um, but I feel like there was so much that they wanted you to do and not enough support and training. Like they're like, do pecs, but then they don't give you like the pecs training. Oh. And I'm like, okay. Um, yeah. I think that is totally dependent upon the company though, because just the other week, an aide who works, works previously as an RBT told me that she got pecs training. So I was like, okay, good. <laughs> That's good that it's not just do pecs and don't know how to do it. <laughs> sure. But the fact that it's possible to just kind of get thrown in, because what, um, what exactly like do you need to be an RBT as far as like education level and a high school diploma? Okay. Okay. And that's, it's very interesting because I don't even, I work with RBTs all the time and I should ask them more questions. I really, not that I've worked with fabulous R RBTs and I think, um, you know, it's a really great way to kind of get into the, um, just the field, uh, because you learn so much about behavior and mm -hmm. you really like, especially when you work alongside a speech pathologist, I'm sure. Um, but for me on the other end, it's like getting to collaborate and really learn like how much behaviors are influenced by communication abilities. Um, so it's, it's very interesting to me. And that I loved, I remember when I found out you'd been an RBT, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> now we have so much to talk about because I, I love working with RBTs and I, I think it's something that um, there's a stigma about like this, this uh, broken connection between SLPs and behavior techs mm -hmm. or behavior analysts and, and all of that. So I'm excited to talk more about it. Um, so you learned PECs eventually, right? <laughs> Through being an RBT. Well, I mean, the BCBA supported me and was yeah. just kind of like, this is how, you know, it looks, but it wasn't, even hers wasn't official. Cause as I look back, he didn't have a book. He didn't have, oh, okay. um, okay it was kind of just like posted around where he would. So like snack items were near the fridge or the pantry. And um, so as I look back, I'm like, that wasn't quite what we had wanted, but right. it, it was working at least for him at the time. But communication was definitely his biggest area yeah. of concern. And that brings me to one thing that I was thinking about, which is, how I really liked being able to be in the home and get that experience of parent, family, those dynamics, because we don't really get to see that, um, at least in the school setting, and how much the child can be impacted at home. And it was just really eye-opening. Yeah. Um, he didn't have two significant behaviors, which then RBTs kind of go into teaching other things, you know, um, receptive identification of objects or pictures, um, echoics, which, oh, that was, <laughs> echoics yeah. basically, you're trying to get the child to imitate you. Yeah. And um, of course, as I know more now, I'm like, well, he was not ready to imitate whatsoever. But back then, they're just like, oh, get him to say this. And I'm just like, well, he doesn't want to or he can't. Right. <laughs> what do we do with that? Yeah. And that's where at least I was like in my program. So I'm starting to at least understand the importance of communication and um, where he probably is at. But yeah, I feel really bad for RBTs who are just thrown into it and aren't getting support, like there really should be an SLP there supporting them as well, the BCBA and the SLP. That would right. be the dream team. And that's really what um, Trina was talking about. I love how, how it would be amazing to have us all as a team because the BCBAs have that behavior aspect. So they can really break down why 
the behavior yeah. is happening and the function of that behavior. And then the SLP can come in and give the strategies for um, how to communicate that. And uh, an RBT would be that kind of person who is with the kid more because you can't really have an SLP there all the time. You can't right. have a BCBA there all the time. The RBT would be that person who can implement it to everyone, um, exactly. all the kids. So I'm like, that would be the ideal dream, really. I know. No, when I talk about it with my, um, the preschool SLPs in my district, all of us, because we, you know, we work in this, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but we work in this classroom, this program where it's a, typically it's a full inclusion model with, you know, eight gen ed kids and eight kids that are on an IEP that might have really significant needs that, you know, they've got communication and they've got behavior um, needs or, you know, where they need support. But we always like, we need ideally, you know, a BCBA at every preschool site and then an RBT in every classroom. Because you're right, like it's, it's so helpful if they can be with the kids all during their day, especially their school day where they're generalizing all these skills and um, pre-academics and communication. And, um, you know, that's our, that's our dream world. But, you know, when, you, when you're in a school district, at least, things get spread so thin. I mean, we have, uh, I don't 13 schools in my district and for a while only had two BCBAs. Um, for all the school, you know, and that's everything from preschool to uh, eighth grade. And that's a lot. And of course they have RBTs, but the RBTs get pulled really quickly, you know, and a child doesn't always have time and it's no fault of the BCBA or the RBT, but the, mm -hmm. the preschoolers, you know, they don't have time to have that consistency in the support. And then, so it kind of turns into, you know, as soon as things look good, as soon as the behaviors really like start diminishing, then maybe the RBT gets pulled because they have to go somewhere else. They're needed somewhere else or, and then, you know, but then there's no consistency. So then the behaviors start to come back and it gets kind of messy. I've been very blessed to have an RBT pretty um, consistently with one of my students um, that really needs him. But I have seen those, those communication, like even between myself and, and the behavior specialists where there's those communication breakdowns, um, sometimes, you know, at a fault of my own, um, because I'm not always in the room and something's getting implemented that does, you know, maybe I need to be there to help with training, um, or to actually see something, um, in action or things like that. And so it does get, it does get tricky and it would be awesome to just have way more time to collaborate. I think that's what we really need is time to yes. communicate and collaborate. And unfortunately, we're also spread pretty thin. <laughs> so we just kind of meeting service time and meeting all these other demands. Yeah. It's like collaboration, unfortunately, sometimes gets pushed to the bottom, which is really yeah. sad. Um, it is because it's, I think one, especially for early intervention, but I think in, for any support, when you're providing any kind of service support for communication, for behavior, for learning, um, that collaboration, and I've, I've done an episode on this long time ago now, but I had, I brought on two of the teachers from my program to talk about what makes collaboration work. And it is time. Time is really one of those things where we need that time to collaborate because the collaboration helps our students um, mm -hmm. way more sometimes than us running around like chickens with our heads cut off to meet service minutes. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just something that, um, you know, like you said, ideal world, <clears throat> we'd have BCBAs everywhere. We'd have SLPs everywhere collaborating all the time. Um, and maybe be, you know, running our own preschool programs that allow for that. <laughs> yeah. That's the dream world, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But how, cool for you to be able to be an RBT while you're doing your, it was your undergrad and grad? Yeah. So wow. I did actually four years of being an RBT and I really honestly just worked with one kid. So it was really interesting getting to see from him being like four years old. No, even younger. I feel like he was three. Oh, wow. And just seeing that, you know, and the really disappointing part was that seeing the inconsistency as well in his speech therapy. Mm. Um, he didn't have consistent speech therapists. I don't think there was enough parent education. 
um, cause he did go to a clinic as well. Um, which I actually went with him at one point because his speech therapist didn't know how to handle his behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, and he ended up just having so many different AAC programs. So it kind of gave me just the parent perspective a little more just because I was with them so much, just kind of, and communicating with her, um, and just seeing the home life a little more. So it was really yeah. helpful in getting behavior skills, um, understanding kind of the needs of a child with autism. And I definitely appreciate um, that job a bunch. Oh, and I'm glad sure. I was able to only be with one kid because I really got to see just across a span of years. The whole, yeah, the whole growth and, and the changes and, um, I just think that what a cool way for you to learn because you literally got to be Im immersed. I mean, we know how grad school is like you're, you're in it and it, it gets challenging, but for your, like, I just think about, and this is where I geek out. I'm like, think about how much your brain expanded like during that time, because you're getting to see two completely different models and approaches in um, and bring them together. And I think that that's, just so awesome. It's, it's so interesting to me. And I've, I've always had a hard time saying that, you know, I hear, I hear SLP say, I don't do behaviors. Um, and I know, and I have a hard time with that because I'm a firm believer in what I said earlier, how much your behaviors are influenced by your communication and, and the supports you might need for that. Um, you know, and there could be a lot of factors in why kids behave the way they do, you know, communication, but having the communication support is very, um, you know, I have a little guy now where we're still, I mean, we've had him for a year. We're figuring, we're trying to figure out what's going to really help him because the behaviors, you know, and there's no diagnoses at this time. He's really little, but there could be some, you know, um, some things going on too that, that we're not aware of at this point, but I still look at him like, okay, but you know, he's got, cause he's got three word utterances, you know, um, and he, he's got a great vocabulary. And, and so I'm just like, what is it that you need communication wise then? So I, now I'm turning it into, I'm starting to work or try and target more social emotional stuff and focus on like trying to see, okay, where is it when you start to, um, get a little bit more of those negative or competing behaviors? When are they starting to come in and when can I see that? And how can I support that? I, yeah, I can call the RBT and he does sit and observe all my sessions, but I want to be able to, you know, use those strategies. I don't want to just have to say, well, come use your strategies. <laughs> um, it, it, uh, I don't know. I, I would love if I, again, here comes the time. If I had the time and the money, I would get my BCBA um, to be able to have that. And like you kind of have that other perspective and um, be practicing those things kind of in conjunction with communication because they go together. Um, oh, yeah. And that just makes me think about how you're saying focusing on social emotional because he doesn't have the, the language skills or understanding to express how he's feeling and how significant yeah. is that? I mean, of course, being able to request what you want or talk about things is important, but also being able to talk about how you feel. That's yeah. so important. Yes. And what a beautiful thing that you can support him with that. And hopefully, he'll get to a point where he can be like, I'm mad. I need to walk away, like, you know, or something, something for him to be able to express to others instead of just creating a behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or tantrum, I guess I should say, because behavior is, you know, a lot of other things. Exactly. No, we're, and we're focusing, you know, when he slams his hands, starts slamming his hands on the table because he doesn't want to keep singing five little monkeys, you know? So I'm, I'm trying to start from a place of, and obviously I'm through a computer screen right now, but I'm learning, you know, I need to just model it as if it's happening to me. Um, and you can tell me if this, if I'm like way off base here, but I was really proud of myself because <laughs> I brought in, if you've seen Play Spark Toys' envelope, the, the flying envelope. So I brought that in, yeah. it kept hitting me in the head um, and I was getting really mad and 
I kept saying, I am so mad. What can I do when I'm mad? And we do our blowing up our balloon and then deflating it. And so by the third time, you know, I'm saying, I'm mad. So he had his arms ready to blow the balloon up. (laughs) But I'm like, that's, you know, he's hearing me say I'm mad. He's seeing me use a strategy. And then he's seeing me repeat the strategy because I I said, I'm still mad, you know, and so we'll see. That's a start, but. That's awesome. Yeah. I think modeling is a huge, a huge piece that, I mean, sometimes I forget to utilize Yeah. um, because sometimes not like we'll know, but could it be that maybe he's reacting that way because that might be what he sees at home? Is that what Mm. maybe dad's modeling or somebody else? So kind of you modeling it, but giving a different perspective Yeah. that I'm sure that's doing wonders for him. And the more you do that with him, I'm sure it's going to help him. I'm hoping so. I'm real. I really am (laughs) like, you know, and, and I think that you know, when I hear, you know, again, like, well, I'm not a behavior specialist. Yeah, no, we're not. I'm not like, you know, I hear other SLPs maybe say that, but um, I'm, I, sometimes I do feel like, okay, I can't be, if I don't have the support of an RBT or a BCBA, it is hard for me to come up with all these different ideas and ways to target or support behavior when I'm also, you know, I've got goals that are written specifically for receptive vocabulary <laughs> that I'm trying to focus on. So I do need the help. It's not that I don't want to not have the opportunity to collaborate, but I do think there is a responsibility on SLPs to support those behaviors. Um, and so it's just a matter of, you know, asking the right questions maybe and, and learning a little bit more. And that's, you know, I'll, I think we should all be willing to do it if we're in this profession. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One piece that I also loved when talking with Trina was that um, I think the university that she's at has, you can get a minor in ABA. And I just thought, wow, that would be amazing for all SLPs to be able to have a minor in applied behavior analysis because Mm -hmm. it really does go hand in hand. It does. Um, I went to such, so, and this is interesting and I'll give you a little bit of my background. I do want to have Trina, I've reached out to her and and we have a plan to set a podcast date because she is so just, she's such a wealth of knowledge. and, And I love that idea of having that minor as an ABA, but I remember being in grad school and I loved all my professors, nothing, you know, against them. But I, that's where I got the bad, um, I don't want to say bad taste in my mouth because I really didn't experience it firsthand. But that's where I had this kind of judgment about ABA therapists and about behavior analysts and all that stuff. Because I remember I was on my diagnostic team in grad school and um, it was my, so like we rotated students. So it was my student that I, or client that I was doing the full assessment on. And he, you know, we did his chart review and it said he gets ABA however many times a week. And so um, my professor was like, okay, it would be a good idea for you to go observe when he has his ABA. And so I went and observed in the home and wrote down everything and came back and I talked to the team about it. And my professor was like, well, you know, ABA. And that stuck with me. Like, I don't even remember like Paige, I don't remember what they were doing. I don't remember what I like was talking about in that moment. All I remember is the emotion I felt when she said, well, you know, ABA, because from that moment on until about two years ago, I was thinking, well, you know, ABA therapist, like anytime I saw a kid with an IEP come in and it said they had ABA, I would be like, oh, they have ABA, you know, and how sad for a new SLP and, and like nothing, again, this professor just, that was her take on it. She probably had a bad experience and I, I get it, but I didn't have any bad experiences. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have then later on had some pretty uh, frustrating miscommunications with BCBAs, but um, it's nothing I couldn't work out and it's nothing I couldn't keep an open mind about. Um, and so that was always kind of, my perspective of it. And then last year I went to, um, you know, Nancy Kaufman 
or the apraxia. She's one of like the apraxia yeah. gurus. There's so many. There's Jenny Bjorum, there's Carrie Ebert, but Nancy um, had a conference and I had a student last year was my year. Like my goal was like, I'm going to learn about apraxia because I know I have a student that has these needs and I'm not that well versed in speech sound disorders and oral motor stuff and all this. And I was like, I'm going to make it a priority for that. I do this for my students. And so she had a conference last December out in um, Southern California. And so the preschool SLPs were all like, yes, like we need this. So we went and it was all about how she and her clinics, and I, I don't know if, do you know that, that she has ABA therapists and SLPs working together to treat apraxia? I actually didn't. So no. cool. So wow. she talked about, it was, oh, it was an amazing, and I'm so bummed because the other day I was writing goals for one of my students. I was like, I need, where are my, where are my notes from the conference? I can't find them. They're amazing. Cause I want to do like, I want to sit and just like do like a blog about it or something because it was such a cool idea. I also want to bring it to Trina and be like, I love this. Um, but yeah, so in her clinics, some of her SLPs do have their BCBA or they do have their, like they did minor in ABA. Like they're all um, working together to treat apraxia and severe um, language and speech delays and all that stuff. And she was showing us videos of the SLP and the um, ABA therapists working together with, you know, little kids and, you know, you'd see them together when the kids start out. And then a few months later, you'd see them with the kids who are now way more intelligible. And she talked about the fact that when we're treating any kind of oral motor speech sound disorder, you're, tr you're, it's like, you're kind of doing it in a behavioral way because you're training the brain. Like, and yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> so wow, yeah. it was such a good conference and she's an amazing speaker. I feel like, I feel like every conference I've been to, the speakers are amazing and so passionate. I mean, that's what they do. And yeah. they always keep me so engaged. Um, but she's just, she's awesome. And she's, um, you know, she talks all about it. And she, she talked about, she goes, I know some of you might have, you're all SLPs. Cause I think most of us in the room were SLPs. I think there were like three um, BCBAs in the room, but she was like, I know you might think ABA this, ABA that. She's like, let me tell you, if you work together, you know, and she went on about it and it was amazing. Um, and I just, I thought, yeah, how cool. So that's part of the reason too, why I would love to get my like BCBA or something. So that way, you know, even in thinking about training speech or working with speech sounds and yeah. So, cause you don't think about it like that. Yeah. It was really cool. Really highly recommend it. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even, yeah, I need to check that one out. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting how you mentioned that you had a professor that said something about, I had one as well. Yeah. When I was the ABA RBT um, therapist that they mentioned like, oh, I don't know how I feel about them basically. And I was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But even then she, I mean, wrote a letter of rec for me. So I don't sure. know. If that, um, I, as, as far as like experience goes, I know they appreciate it. They do appreciate having that background. So, mm -hmm. and they do still mention that it's helpful in working with your yeah. clients. So I was yeah. just like, but you don't like them. Like I'm confused. I know. And I, and I think it depends too. And I've heard this, like, it definitely depends on what the child's needs are. Like you were saying you had the little guy who had, he wasn't at the right level of communication, you know, and of course, Laura Mize pops into my head with the 11 skills. Um, but you look yeah. at those levels and, you know, I've had times with um, my preschoolers where I had a little boy who wasn't, I mean, he didn't really have joint attention and mom wanted him talking. And she was saying, well, in ABA, they're starting to try and get him to imitate. And I was like, okay. And I gave her that handout, that Laura Mice handout. And I said, look, this is where he is with me in the classroom and in speech. Like, we're not even, we're not really attending to the toys together. So he has to do, you know, we want to get him to get all these things consistently before we're trying to require him to, to say what we say. We want to, you know, so anyway, so it's like, to have both of those things working together is really great because the ABA therapist can come in maybe and support that, um, 
imitate or that joint attention and really be focusing on all the preferred things the child has first and getting those consistent. So I've worked with, you know, some ABA where I've talked on the phone with them and we're talking about, okay, so what are you doing at home? What are you doing in speech? But then I've had it the other way where the ABA therapist is telling parent, your speech teacher needs to be working on imitation. I don't know why they're still trying to get, you know, they're, they're still playing patty cake on the floor. Like, um, so I've had it both ways and, and I can, but, and I can see that it's kind of maybe this like old school ish, like thought of like, they can't work together. Um, but it, I feel like there just needs to be a little bit more open-mindedness and it could start Mm -hmm. in the grad program or the undergrad programs, you know, like getting that collaboration. Which is why the, um, ABA minor would be helpful is because Mm -hmm. it's like, look, this is what they do. And it's not, I mean, I think it does also depend on the professionals, of course, like, you know, any profession, there's good speech therapists, bad speech therapists, or at least not as um, collaborative, um, open-minded. So it's the same thing with BCBAs and RBT sometimes that, you know, they kind of think they know it all, which, you know, none of us know it all. We should all be (laughs) open-minded to new ideas or strategies and um, that's really where the beauty of collaboration comes. It is. is learn from each other yeah. so much. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I love that. And in kind of talking about that, we can maybe go into our programs. Like we both obviously work in preschool um, right now. And um, I want to hear more about your program and maybe how we can even talk about how collaboration looks for you and your teachers um, that – I don't know. And then I'll, I'll talk about it for mine too, just to refresh everyone who maybe doesn't know, but um, I'm curious because I have a perspective of preschool and think it's all, it all looks the way mine does. And I'm sure we all get stuck in those thoughts where we're like, well, this must be how it is, you know, for, you know, maybe our friend Lindsay out in LA, like, because it looks like this for us, but they're so different. Every preschool program I've, when I talk to people, it's so different. So go ahead. So, I mean, unfortunately, I haven't, you know, worked in person <laughs> with my preschool program, um, but I do have at least an idea of what it's supposed to be or what it would look like, because um, I've only been at the preschool program from the beginning of this school year. But basically, we're, I would say, zero inclusion, <laughs> which in a negative sense, um, there's two... Um, I would say, I guess, mild mod classes. And then um, those are three hour programs. And then there's one kind of more severe, they call it an autism program, but that confuses me because all of the kids um, in the, even the mild and mod, there's tons of autism. So yeah, I mean, um, and that one's five hour is a five hour program, which I thought was pretty interesting because when you go from preschool to kinder, the kinder is actually going to only be less. So I just found that kind of fascinating that they would have preschool be longer, but I think that's good. You know, it gives them um, more learning opportunities, more support. Yeah. Um, As I've been inside the classrooms, I know that the like severe classroom, she uses tons of visuals. So I love that she has visual schedules. She's very organized. Um, What I've noticed as far as collaboration, there's pretty minimal uh, between the teachers, Okay, which I would say we kind of tried to do a little bit more collaboration in the beginning of this school year to Mm -hmm. kind of be on the same page as far as um, what we're working on and what like the lesson plans are, but it ended up just not working super well. You know, teachers have their ways, other teachers have their ways. So it ends up me having kind of the difficulty because nobody's on the same page. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, because having three different classes is, and everyone doing something kind of different, it's, it's kind of a lot to juggle. So what my hopes are is, as long as I continue in this preschool program is to really increase that collaboration and get us kind of on a similar page so yeah. that we can 
or maybe me, I don't know, is it just for me? <laughs> no. So that we can just support the kids the best and, you know, yeah. figure out what works, what doesn't work. And because maybe a class that doesn't use visuals as much, um, you know, we can kind of support them and get them some visual schedules and how to use them and yeah. just kind of more education in that sense about autism and the use of visuals and yeah no but as far as um inclusion I don't even think like recess I don't even think they have with gen ed classes oh, okay um because well so interesting thing we have um Asipa who was with this preschool program for I think like 10 years so she kind of has the insight about you know yeah. how it's in and she said she loved when all the preschools were at one school instead of at separate ones because that really made for more collaboration sure. more uh, inclusion um and just things like that because right now mine is at the like three classes or at one school there's one gen ed preschool there for like the kids who live around there, but every school has their own preschool now. Um, I guess they kind of funding wise, they were like, it's better um, to have, you know, so kids can, I don't know, they don't have to transport them basically. Yeah. To that one preschool school. Ah. So yeah, it's kind of, I was like, oh man, I would have loved to use, utilize a school that has all the preschools at one. I and know. We can really, um, so yeah, that's kind of my preschool. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. it's as positive as I would have liked, uh, no. but you know, there, there's always room for improvement and I'm looking forward to at least trying to get it in a better direction. Yeah. And And that's the thing too. I think a lot of it comes with education. Last year we had this, her name's Kristen Brooks. If you, I think she works like throughout California. If you ever need to get somebody to present for you guys. Um, She's, um, she was actually, she's an SLP. uh, And she, for a while, for a time was the special ed director in my district who, and she, um, she's kind of one of the founders of our inclusion preschool program because she knows the benefits of inclusion, especially Mm -hmm. for early intervention, but really, I mean, it should be, I think across the board. Um, But that's just, you know, that's a different topic for a different day probably. (laughs) Um, Because I don't even have all the answers on how that could work, but she came to our camp or our, um, like what, what is it called? The SELPA, the special ed, our like, yeah, our planning area, whatever it is, the zone. But she came and she presented for us about inclusion and kind of, and so like how, how to build collaborative relationships with service providers and teachers and what co-teaching looks like and all this stuff. Um, and so I think she does that for some, I don't know what program she works with, but she does, she goes and she trains about inclusion. And I think that's just the biggest part of it is that education piece um, and training and making teachers and staff and admin and everybody feel like they can be a part of the support system that helps our students versus like rolling something out and saying, well, here you go. Like you're doing this now. Kind of like how we were thrown into teletherapy, (laughs) 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 you know, just like you're a teletherapist. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's a really big piece that it seems so challenging. So why do it? Because there's a lot that needs to fit into place. But if people are felt like they're, if they're feeling like they're supported um, with learning and, and I know, cause like my district's come a long way with inclusion. It was more like yours early on before I got into the preschool program. It was like mm-hmm. a general education class for preschoolers. And then there was like a mod severe class. There wasn't, they weren't mixed. Um, mm-hmm. And now they are, and it's, it is awesome. Um, not right now though, because of COVID, but, um, when, you know, during a typical year, it's a really cool program and, you know, I, but I've even seen it. I think teletherapy, speaking of collaboration, teletherapies and, and, and virtual learning has made that a challenge. Like 
it's really hard to be on the same page when you're emailing back and forth or even just even the zoom meetings. I'm like, I just don't feel, you don't feel the community. You're not sitting around one table. So that's definitely been challenging. Cause even for me, I'm like, usually I know what themes the teachers are working on every week and I'm in it and I'm using the same vocabulary. And I'm like, Oh, you're working on families. Oh, I was on the boat last week, like fishing, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and singing row your boat. Sorry, missed that one. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely different and a little bit more challenging, but I think as you get, I definitely, I feel like now that I'm in my third year with these teams, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to train. I'm ready to, you know, um, maybe push for a little bit more collaboration in areas that we need it, but it takes some time and building that rapport with your staff and all of that. So it can definitely happen, but, um, I do, I do know that there are still programs that sometimes like after initial evaluation students will go to instead of our preschool program. So there is, but they're like the County programs. Um, so there is like what they call the autism class, which is sounds very similar. Like a five, I think it's a five hour day for them too. Um, but I know that they're a little bit more reluctant to send students there. They always like to give them the chance to be in the general education classroom first. Um, since it's like more of the least restrictive setting for them. Um, but then there's also a mild speech, uh, program that's, um, it's actually run by our district, but they're not, so they, it's basically like for articulation students, um, oh. where they, their intelligibility isn't impacting their, uh, their social emotional or overall communication, but they do like need some support. So they might qualify for, um, or to see an, uh, go into like a group, they go with like four other students that are in that program and they do speech for maybe 30 minutes. I'm not sure. I don't know how they do it, but it's kind of, it doesn't have the academics and the peer modeling of the inclusion preschool program. So um, yeah, those are like the really mild kids, but that's a whole different, whole different program. So there's, it, it's different. It's so different everywhere you go, but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. right now I definitely, because we're not for during teletherapy and the whole COVID changes with a hybrid model or a cohort model, we're not seeing any gen ed kids in our classrooms until things are fully opened up. So, um, which I'm not happy. That makes me very sad that they won't be back because they're a big part of our program. But um, that's just the way it's working as far as safety and health measures and all of that stuff. And so I feel like I'm a mod severe um, you know, I'm, I'm working with, or like mild to severe kids right now, because I have no opportunity to go push into a classroom and work in a center with the gen ed peers and, and get that modeling. You know, that's one of my favorite parts about our program is to be able to sit at snack time and use a, you know, use a visual and then have a gen ed kid use a visual too, and kind of get, see the, that there's more willingness to do things when your peers are doing them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. 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 There's actually one kiddo where he has twin who I would say, I think he might be getting speech, but like he's community speech is what we call it. Okay. Where they only get like speech services and they're in gen ed. So yeah. he's kind of actually a really good, um, inclusion or he's the only gen ed kind of inclusion into some of our push in and speech therapy sessions which is awesome because he's always there (laughs) answering those questions and kind of um supporting other kids to maybe oh he's participating so maybe we should try yeah yeah and i and i know like obviously there might be some because the benefits of inclusion, I would say the biggest one is that peer modeling and not just for, you know, I think, yeah, it's great for our kids that have or need more support with communication to see their peers and to get to interact with their peers um, and have those models and those examples. But it's also really great for those gen ed kids to get to learn from their peers. Um, I think it's a great place to start when we're talking about just being, um, 
you know, it sounds like I sound like a I'm in a beauty pageant, but it's like I, you know, having those that that kindness in the world. Um yeah. To start with these little ones that, you know, I, it's kind of a sad story, but not because this, it goes to show you where these kids are starting, but then where they can go. I had a, a gen ed child at the beginning of last school year on the first day, because, you know, speech therapists, we don't always pull the first week of school because these kids have to get acclimated, but I will go into the classrooms and support the teachers, especially in those first days when kids are sad and scared. <laughs> And there was a little, one of my little boys who has autism was, you know, doing his thing, dancing around the room, making his vocalizations. And one um, Jenna's little boy was like, kind of, he just looked freaked out because he'd never seen a child that was his height, had his, you know, um, looked more like him than an adult. He never saw a child really act that way. And it was different, right, to him. And he kind of made like a face and and he looked at me and he said, I don't, I don't want to be in here. Like, and I was like, oh, like, you know, but I was like, oh, you know, and I kind of, I just was like, why not? You know? And he said, cause, cause he's acting funny or something. And, and I could see where, you know, as a little kid, you just aren't used to that. And so you need those models to learn, oh, it's okay. That's our friend. And he, you know, sometimes when he's happy, he's excited to be here. So he's dancing and he's jumping around the room. I said, what do you do when you're excited? Do you like to clap your hands? Like, and so it becomes this, this teaching moment, you know, and they learn through their two years of preschool that we're all humans and we all have gifts to bring each other. And, um, we all do it in different ways. And I, that's one of my favorite things and seeing our kids and just, you know, seeing them become friends. We had a cute little pair too, another one, but one of my students um, with autism who he left us, he's in kindergarten now. I miss him, but he had a buddy who he followed around. Um, he loved this little, uh, he was a gen ed child and um, my student would follow him around on the playground, always yelling out his name. And you're like, you're going you're gonna to annoy him, like, you know, but I have a picture of them above my desk at work of hugging at the end of the school year, hugging and their cheeks are touching and they're smiling. And I'm just like, these kids, like they're the perfect age to start teaching these lessons to about inclusion and diversity. And it is a really cool thing to see both of them learning from each other. And then the teachers learning from them too. So that's my inclusion soapbox. Um, but it is, it is really fun, but I do see that there could be benefits to maybe having times in our day, right, where we're in um, getting kind of the maybe academic learning or um, getting that really intense communication support with, you know, in more of maybe a self-contained class. Like I understand, I, I guess I understand the logic of it. I just come from my inclusion is amazing world. <laughs> I don't know, but well, because it's like the visuals benefit everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. use visuals yeah. in Gen Ed preschool classes as well. So, I mean, how beautiful is that though? To really teaching kindness and acceptance so young. Yeah, like, that, that's amazing, and that would be really awesome to see in my program. Maybe someday. Yeah. Uh, no, I think, I think we need that inclusion um, specialist to come out and talk to us because I think, I think so help. I should, I need to find, I'll have to find her information and give it to you. I'm like, totally don't even know if she knows who I am, but I'm <laughs> plugging her <laughs> conference. Um, but I remember her saying like now she just kind of goes through different school districts and she does that stuff because it is so important. And um I think it's a good thing for not only for like school staff to hear, principals need to hear it and learn it and all of that. But I think it's really good for parents to learn too. Um, and, and thinking about where are you sending your child to school? I love that our program now is, you know, it's pretty well known in our area. And so parents who have preschool age children that maybe don't have any identified needs, they actually, there's a waiting list to get into our preschool program because parents want to send them there because of the things that, you know, they're, they're learning aside from it being a really great preschool program. I mean, as far as pre-academics and stuff go, 
Um, we do do everything from a developmental approach though, which is really important. I think because these kids are learning through play and, and all those things that preschool speech pathologists eat up and love, um, all the songs and all that stuff. But yeah, it's just, I think it's important for everybody to be educated in. So. Oh yeah, definitely. So I actually thought about one thing that my program I know does have, but I didn't mention mm -hmm. is um, stations. So instead of, you know, just me pulling out the kids all the time, we do have like learning stations. Yeah. Um, so at least I'm coming in there or I would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's at least a good place for aides to at least kind of, I model at least what yeah. using their communication devices could look like or anything like that. Um, I really, yeah, I miss in person. <laughs> I do too. No, I do too. So much. Like as much as I'm like, I found a groove with teletherapy. It's working. Mm -hmm. It's, it's such a, I'm coming from such a torn place. Um, because <laughs> I get this, like we were talking about, I think, I don't know if we talked about this while we were recording, but I know before we were recording, we talked about having this glimpse into the homes, getting to work with parents, building these really, I mean, it's funny. People are, are like when, um, you know, I hear it all the time and I've said it too, when, when we go back to in-person parents are like that have not, that don't know the way that our program really runs without teletherapy. They're going to be like, wait, Miss M, can I talk to you every day? You know, but <laughs> yeah. I'm like, but I'm going to be that way too. I'm going to want to yeah. call them after their child session and be like, okay, he did so good. He said this, he did this. Like, uh, so I think it's going to be a big shock when I don't, you know, I, I do get to do that with the teachers. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's just so different getting this glimpse into their homes and getting to really get a handle on that parent coaching. But I miss, yes. I do miss pushing into the classrooms. And I do see that a lot more with more of those self-contained maybe classrooms and mod severe and stuff that um, SLPs do a lot more push in. And like you said, there's more training for the aides. So now there's consistent use of the prompts and, and the modeling throughout the child's school day when you leave the room which I think um, that's something that I'm pushing more for in my program is to be more in the classroom than pulling out the kids. Cause right now I go in the classroom. I spend, I do run a center once a month in each classroom so I can get to work with everybody and get to really just be immersed in the culture of the classroom and learn what works in that classroom as far as prompting and stuff. But I would love to be in there once a week at the very least. Um, to run that maybe a speech center or something yeah. um, or have that station. But I think, cause I think getting to model the things we do, like I notice with parents, I think I've noticed it more cause I always have, I always have someone I'm, I'm uh, modeling in front of now with teletherapy <laughs> versus pulling the kids out and it just being me and the child. Um, but I notice like there are times I'm doing things now. I do them so much as far as how I prompt or how I wait for children or whatever to, react or whatever that I don't even sometimes I'll coach the parents and say like okay so see what I'm doing here this is why but there's so much that I do I don't realize people are paying attention to and same with when I pushed into classrooms like the aides I'd come in the next day and be like wasn't I singing that song <laughs> you know and and they're doing because they heard me doing it during my center and um mm -hmm. I think it's really important to just be in there and doing what you do and letting people watch or not watch or learn or whatever um, because it makes it more beneficial for the students. Mm -hmm. That kind of carry over between not just speech therapy, but throughout their whole day. Yeah. Um, same thing. Like I'm definitely torn. I would definitely miss the parents and supporting them, um, home. It's, it's a struggle. <laughs> it is. No, it totally is. I don't know, but you know what? It's kind of cool. I, I don't think, like, I know at least for the rest of the school year, even if my school goes back, I will still have kids virtually, um, mm -hmm. probably for until May. So I know I'll still have the opportunities. Um, and I was talking to my boyfriend last night because, you know, I was saying, it's just so crazy to think I never thought like yesterday. Okay. So this, this is where the story comes from to give you background. I, I did a session out in the student's front yard yesterday while there was yard work happening and, <laughs> and, and neighbors were in the driveway watching me sing five little monkeys. Wow. And I was, so I, yeah, I was like, that's a first, you know, um, 
I've talked to um, other SLPs. They're like, yeah, I was in the doctor's waiting room, you know, and I'm like, we get to just, we're traveling SLPs for real. But I was telling Mark last night, you know, never did I ever think I would be on a computer in a student's front yard saying hi to their neighbors that I've never met. Like, you know, but, and, and that's kind of the funny part of it, but really like this, I never in grad school would have thought that this would be any part of my job. Um, you know, I, you know, like maybe one day I'll go into the medical side. Maybe one day I'll work with peds. Maybe one day I'll be in the NICU, but you don't, I never, you know, back in grad school, I didn't say maybe one day I'll still be working in a school district doing teletherapy, um, and, and coaching parents and dealing with technology, technology and <laughs> like, so yeah, just so interesting. I never thought I would be using a green screen so religiously. <laughs> right? And relying on it. Like, I, oh, yeah. yeah. Yesterday, never. I was, I was having one of those days where you're like, I want to cancel. I just, I felt Thursdays are packed for me. So by Friday, I'm like, I can't open my eyes in the morning. Like, it's really challenging but I'm getting new students on my caseload. And so everything's starting to get really packed in. And so now on Fridays, I have like eight sessions and, or seven sessions. That's a huge difference. Um, but uh, I, I was like, okay, you know what? My first three sessions of the day before lunch are, they're like four-year-olds who were just doing our tick. We could, I could do it from home and it's going to be fine because my green screen's set up at my school. And I was like, I'll just go over there in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, and I was like, cause I need it. Like I am relying on my green screen for some of these kids. Cause it's the only way they're staying engaged. Yes. But it is a huge blessing to have. So man, I don't even know what I would do without it. Like, I know. Cause I mean, boom cards are good, but they're not the same. No, <laughs> no, they're not. And I don't know. I, I've tried boom cards. So some of the kids can do them, but all of my kids, they all have the school Chromebooks that, so they can't, they can't control. Like I can't give them screen control. They can't swipe their fingers. So it's really like, it's way more beneficial to have them just telling me, put the, put the food in the dinosaur's mouth. Don't get your hand cut off. Look behind you. You know, it just, mm-hmm. it just is more meaningful for them because they can oh, yeah. control you know, they've learned, oh, I can tell her, you know, or my kid that wanted to see wheels on the bus, he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's telling me I want wheels on the bus, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it was with Serena. I did the live with her the other night. I can't remember if it was with her or somebody else was talking about this, but I was talking about even utilizing it when I, yeah, it was with her utilizing it even when we're in person and putting them in front of like with me in front of the computer and us both being in the boat. You know, um, so I'm like, you know, this isn't going away. Like this could be very useful even, you know, cause then they could say today, let's go to the beach or, you know, it could be very on theme. And so we could do something there depending on the student, of course, but I know it kind of breaks the whole illusion because then they'll learn about the green screen a lot earlier in life than I learned about it. <laughs> but <laughs> but it would be really fun for them and then you know yeah. the, those of them that want to one day be a movie star they could feel like they're in blues clues and like what a fun idea I love that I mean so many of my kids I mean I guess it kind of sounds sad but they don't go as many places as you kind of would no. think because I'm kind of in a lower socioeconomic area. Yeah. So like going to the beach, they're like, I've never been. Yeah. At least like yeah. in my CFY. Um, yeah. Or yeah, elementary. Yeah. They're, they don't go as many places. So it'd be cool to be like, oh, we get to go wherever you want. We could go at space. Like we could just do anything. That, I love that idea. Yeah. I mean, it does, I guess, break the illusion. But they at least get to look at themselves and be like, oh, and then think of how excited they might be to tell their parents, like, yeah, I went to space today, you know, and it yeah. kind of, brings, I don't know, just more excitement, I would think, to their... Exactly. No, I definitely, I'm, I'm excited. Like, I'm, I'm like, okay, I can make this work too, you know. Um, so it'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be fun times. <laughs> we'll all get 
uh, well, just get a whole other level, a whole other layer of what we can do in speech with this green screen, in person or out of person. You really so. realize that SLPs can do anything. We can do teletherapy. We can do. Right. Yeah. They, they need to make a hilarious like Dr. Seuss book for SLPs. Like we can do it in the car. We can do it in the front yard. We can front do yard. It. Do it at the doctor. We could do it on the phone. I've got one who's on, the, on their parents' phone. And I'm like, I'm really little. <laughs> can you see me? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's, it's so hilarious. Like, and I'm also very proud of us, um, for, for just doing it. Like, I know, I mean, I'm sure I know I've kicked and screamed a little bit. I was digging my heels in the sand last week, um, trying to say, no, I'm not going back. <laughs> like when they're telling me I might go back, I'm just saying no, but now I'm like, okay, Marie, you could do this because you've done it. You've, you've already done it. You've already switched your program and you'll switch mm -hmm. it again when you have to. So mm -hmm. we're going to, we're going to be great, but yeah. Change is hard, but we are definitely flexible. It comes. Uh, yeah, we are. I think SLPs are just such, again, with my boyfriend, but he just jokes with me all the time. He's like, you're, you SLPs, like you're just, you're something else. Cause you know, now he's a little bit more involved in the community when he comes onto Instagram, cause people are always, um, you know, they know who he is and stuff. And we are a breed of our own. Like most of us have these, I mean, I think we all have a little bit of type A in us at the very least. Like I know, I know like for me, the type A is starting to really this year, I think I've just been like, I don't care, <laughs> like, but I've, I've definitely, it's definitely in there, you know, especially in grad school for sure. But I think that there's like this level that we need to control things. And then there's this other level where we are the most flexible go with the flow people. It's so interesting mm -hmm. because like, it's not one way or the other. It's like, I need to control everything. This is frustrating me, but, oh, you don't want to play with cars? okay, like, <laughs> like with, you know, or yeah. Oh, I'm going to be doing teletherapy. I'll make it work. Like, it's just so funny, but yeah. you know, that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing and trying to have fun doing it. So Definitely. I don't know. Well, this has been fun. <laughs> thanks yeah. for Thanks for jumping on the rambling podcast with me and listening to my soapboxes page. I'm sorry if I talk too much. Oh um, no, I'm, I feel like I'm a rambler as well. <laughs> it's good. It's good. People I've learned, I'm learning people actually like listening to the rambling. So I'll keep doing it until people tell us to stop. Um, <laughs> Cause it's what I do, but we were talking a little bit about traveling and I know you're an avid traveler. Um, I'm like not quite as, uh, confident in my travel abilities as you are Paige, but I, you're inspiring me. Definitely. I'm like, okay, if Paige can, can go travel or just like, I don't know. What did you do? Would you tell me you did, you traveled somewhere by yourself? Where'd you go? I, by my first time actually going to Europe and I think I went to three four countries. Um, I went by myself, but yeah. it was like a travel like group. So like you meet up in a group, but I didn't know anyone in no. it. So it was like, all these people are brand new. Like maybe I'll like people, maybe I won't. <laughs> I don't know. I love and that. It's honestly so liberating to just like go to a place and not have anybody else's demands like oh I don't want to go there well you know I'm going by myself <laughs> you know yeah. nobody no one can tell you anything yeah um but yeah so it's it's That's fun so cool. to just kind of solo travel yeah no so super inspiring I love that about you um where is to kind of end off the podcast we'll let people know where your favorite place to travel has been Favorite place of all time, Amalfi Coast. Oh, yeah. I'm in Italy. Mm -hmm. Just those mountains. It's just so beautiful. I don't, I don't know if I've seen anything more beautiful. It is. I, <laughs> I have been there, which is kind of cool to say, because I've, I'm not, 
I, I went to Europe and studied abroad in Florence and um, that was my favorite place out there for sure. But I didn't get to spend very much time. I think we were only down there for like a day and a half to two days. Um, I feel like you need a good week in the Amalfi Coast to see at least a few things. Um, but oh, yeah, probably. It's, like even when I went, it wasn't enough time. I was just like, because now, I mean, I'm, I, w- I was a big child or a big hiker, but I... Mm didn't and I'm like I would love to hike those mountains yes (laughs) yeah I wasn't when I went um I mean I was how old was I I was 20 I was little um it seems so long ago but I was just way more uh you know I don't care yeah I'll go kind of kind of way and um but I didn't hike like I wanted to just go travel and see things and didn't understand to like bring like appropriate, like things to actually hike in or whatever when I went. And I remember one morning, the one of my roommates um, that I was in an apartment with woke me up and she was like, want to go hike? Um, this is when we were in Florence. And she's like, want to go hike Cinque Terre? And um, I was like, yeah, sure. I put on my Tom's shoes, put on some jean shorts. And I didn't know what she meant by like, I, I obviously didn't know what the definition of hiking was, let alone hiking through five cities. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, yeah, and so, but both of us, like, we kind of underestimated it. So we actually took the ferry <laughs> from like city two to four and then took the trip and then hiked to five and then took the train or whatever it was. I don't really remember, but it was like, we, yeah, we had to break it up. We couldn't walk the whole thing, but it was that was beautiful. And then that was before I'd gone to the Amalfi coast, I think. And then I went to the Amalfi coast and I was like, Oh wow. That was nothing compared to this. It's so gorgeous. So beautiful. Yeah. Can't wait to travel again. I know. I know. It's, I know. I think it's funny because everybody was like, well, maybe by Christmas, you know, people can, and now like Europe's going through like a second set of lockdowns and stuff. So I'm like sending them hugs. (laughs) it's hard I know but yeah I think hopefully by the spring my goal is to get to go somewhere for spring break so we'll see northern California I know I think that's what we want to do we want to like road trip up there again um Mark and I were just talking about going to Yosemite again because we've been once but we really want to do we want to do like the big hikes out there um which means we need to condition first and really remember what hiking feels like, <laughs> but I'm working on it. I'm ahead of him in the game right now, but um, yeah, I'll have to go visit you. You're coming down to SoCal soon. Yes. Yes. I'm so excited. December, so. I can't wait. I'm excited. I can't either. I'm excited. Get out of town. <laughs> I know. I know. It's going to get me to get out of town to come visit you. So <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I know I keep dragging this goodbye out. So I will say, I will will stop the recording. (laughs) Thank you, Paige. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Paige, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I can't wait for all the conversations and collaborations we will do together. They're going to be great. Uh, Friends, you can find Paige over at the speechy page on the old Instagram that is in your podcast notes, though. So just click on over and find her and give her a follow. She's got some really great and valuable information. Please rate, review, and subscribe. I love reading your reviews, and I really appreciate when you rate and review because it helps this podcast get heard and shared with others who might really find value in what our experts on the cast have to say. So I really appreciate it when you take the time to do that. I also have a bonus episode coming for you on Thursday, so be on the lookout. It's been a while since we have had a bonus episode. Um, It is not a therapy tip. It is a self-care tip. So I'm really excited for you to hear it. And uh, other than that, uh, talk to you later.